everybody, Ben Nelson here, the Everyday Real Estate Investor. Hope you're having a fantastic day. Hope you're getting things done and you're taking action and you're out there hunting for real estate investment deals because that's what we do, right? We want to be always be buying for the right deal, the right property. Uh, no matter what the market's doing, there's always, always deals out there. There's always deals that can be created. Um, and that's what we're going to talk about today. So uh, I'm going to just jump right into it. Uh, we... Uh, had our local monthly investor uh, meeting last night, which was awesome. Uh, it was great seeing everybody there that shows up to that. Um, and just having uh, a discussion around what's around what's going on in the market. And uh, we talked a lot about seller financing. Uh, and the reason why we, we wanted to talk about seller financing last night and the reason why I wanted to talk about it on the podcast is because uh, I feel like this next uh, little window of time here, I don't know if that's six months, I don't know if it's a year, uh, I don't know if it's a couple years, is going to be prime opportunity to talk to uh, sellers and to do some creative financing structure. Um, and I, I, you know, I say seller financing, that, so I really mean like creative deal structure, looking at things, something other than uh, just going to the bank putting 20% down, getting a loan, and buying a property that way. So uh, we're going to talk about some ways to do that, some different structures. Uh, we're not going to get into the, the nitty-gritty details of how um, each of these strategies work. This is just to kind of get your mind going in that direction and give you some basic structure, some basic concepts, um, and then you know, learn learn a lot more, You dig into uh, the these uh, ideas and these concepts uh, more when you have a chance and we can there's definitely a possibility we will be touching uh, on some of these more, on a more deeper uh, involved level here moving forward um, whether that's with a guest or, or just uh, you know one-on-one -on -one like this but because um, there, there's a lot to a lot of these structures where you just have to you I mean you could spend a day seminar probably on each of these but we're just going to hit the highlights. We're going to talk about some things to be get you thinking, how to be creative, how to provide solutions to sellers, because that's what it's all about, especially going into a market that's challenging. And and it's, uh, you know, think properties are still selling, um, but sellers are also more open to, to hearing ideas and hearing ways to get their property sold because things are not just getting thrown on the market and sold, you know, the next day. There, there, there are properties that are sitting and there are properties that are empty and um, even though inventory is low, interest rates are, are higher than we've seen in like 20 years. So they, uh, it's a challenge. It's a challenge that we got to work through. And so this is, these are some ways that you can provide uh, a solution for a seller to sell their property and get yourself a, uh, a deal as well that's, that's going to work for you. So let's jump right into it. We're going to talk about um, three or four different uh, strategies to control a property to structure a deal uh, that is going to get you in the door and um, get you control of a property and help out a seller. So first one is uh, the lease option. So a lease option is you're not you're not going to have ownership of the uh, of the the property, right? So you're leasing it. You it's a lease. Basically, two documents. You have a lease. You have the right to rent the the property with an option to purchase it. So. The lease is, I mean, pretty self-explanatory. You're, you're a tenant, you're renting, you're paying monthly rent uh, to have control and occupancy of that, um, that, 
property. You can add a right to sublease that so that you can, you don't have to live there. You can lease it back out um, along with an option. So you have the, an option is the, uh, the right, but not the obligation to buy a property. So you're setting up terms in advance for what the purchase is going to be, what's the price going to be. And, um, and then you're coming up with a window of time for, uh, both the lease, how long is the lease? And then when is your option window? So is your option window anytime during the lease is the option window two years down the road, you know, between years two and three, uh, is the option window one specific month at a certain point. Uh, it, so the, all of that is, is up for negotiation and, and depending on the situation of the seller and depending on when you're buying it. So, um, this can work really well with a seller that uh, maybe doesn't want, like they want some sort of guarantee that it's selling, um, but they maybe aren't ready to, to move out yet. So you could do a lease, or you do an, either an option or a lease option, uh, you know, and rent it back to them. And you've already established a price. And then the option window is when they're ready to, move. hey, I'm gonna move in four years, but I, wanted, I, I don't want it now. Well, hey, this is a good deal. I wanna lock this up now. Um, so you do an option or a lease option and you set that window of time down the road for when they're gonna be more ready to sell. Um, and then it works for them and it works for you. You control it in the mean, you don't wanna come back to them in five years and say, oh, they wanna sell in five years. Okay, well, I, I guess I'll call them in five years. They're gonna to talk to so many other people in the meantime, lock it up now uh, with an option, uh, come up with terms that work for them, give them a non-refundable deposit now, and uh, and now you have control of that and you control that you like you have the first right to purchase that in five years when instead of just waiting out the five years. Right. Um, this is so another great uh, th this is a great tool when um, maybe an owner doesn't have a lot of equity, um, but they need to sell and they're, maybe they're moving out of the out of the state for a job or something and they just they're going to lose money if they sell it. Um, they don't really want to be a landlord. Well, you can lease it. You can take over that option. You don't. You, if you're not, don't want to do something subject to, which we'll talk about in a second. Um, this is a good way to control it. You are taking ownership in the sense of you're going to handle the maintenance and subleasing it and all that stuff. They don't have to lose money, um, and then you can purchase it from them uh, in the in the future. So. Um, and because you can even agree to a higher price, right? You can agree to a higher price, say, hey, I think the market's gonna come back um, or wait for that loan amortization to pay down, you know, so that now they're not um, now they're not negative, right? In five years, they're gonna pay down. Some of the, the loan is gonna get amortized, it's gonna pay down. So now they're not gonna lose money when they sell it. So this this is a great option in, in that, um, no pun intended, in, it, for that kind of scenario. Um, if you hear, I, I wanna sell just not yet, think option, think lease option, right? So control it, um, set, set yourself up to be able to buy it in the future. And, um, and it's a great tool for that. So um, let's see, so wrap notes. So the wrap notes subject to, these are creative solutions as well. Now, um, and they're different. So a subject to, the short of it is, is you are buying the property subject to the existing loan. So you're essentially going to be making the payments on the existing loan, uh, you you pay the, the seller continues to pay or you pay their their um, existing loan, and then you just give them the down payment for the difference of what the, you're buying the property for and and what that note is. Um, a wrap note is a little different because you're creating a new note for whatever the new 
loan amount is and you're putting you're putting a new promissory note in place for that new loan and then that other loan is still in place as well so you're going to pay on the new loan uh seller then in turn pays their um their existing loan and so there's two loans in place the one is just over and and a, like around that's what i call it, a wrap note it's around the other loan so say they have a loan that's two hundred thousand dollars and you're gonna they're gonna you're gonna do a wrap note they're gonna sell or finance three hundred thousand dollars you pay on the three hundred thousand they pay on the existing two hundred thousand dollar note now you do have to be aware that most loans most conventional loans do have a due on sale clause so what that means is that if you sell the property to someone else without paying off the note without paying off that amount that's due to the lender they can call that due uh, I am not an attorney. I'm not going to get into the nuances on that. I do know a lot of people that have done this strategy and have never had a loan called due, but it's a risk. It's definitely a risk. Um, you have to know, have the right team to help you put that in, in play and put and structure it properly um, to not have any issues with the bank. Generally speaking, the bank just wants to get their payment and make their yield, make that interest. Um, but technically they can call it due. So just know that that's a risk in that uh, in that particular um, scenario, um, you know, long term you have more risk, obviously, on something like that. If it's a short term deal where you're just, you know, trying to control it and then uh, you're going to fix it up and sell it, I mean, I'm not saying I'm a proponent of breaking a clause in a um, in a loan document, but um, you know, less likely that they're going to catch it or foreclose, be able to even foreclose in that short amount of time so long as it's a short period of time. So again, not saying to do any of that, but I'm just, you know, this is, this is the, people do this, this is a legitimate strategy. So this is a, this is a, this is just a quick aside, but this is something that I think is, is that you should keep an eye on. And this is mostly gonna be for something that you're gonna buy and live in, because just generally speaking, um, you're not allowed to do it usually as a non-owner occupied um, buyer, but loan assumption, um, there are some really, really low interest rate loans out there, like sub three, mid, you know, mid twos. I, I think that there might even be some low two interest rate uh, loans out there that are fixed rate loans. Why in the world would you want to get a new loan and pay that off? That just makes no sense, especially with rates in the 7% range, right? So if you have the ability to assume that loan and just pay the seller the difference in what you're paying them and what's, what's owed on the note, not only are you able to absorb you know, a, a, and take over a, a really, really low interest rate, you're also accelerating your, your amortization, right? So if they've had this loan for five years, you're five years into the amortization, you're gonna be paying more towards principal than you would uh, with a brand new loan. So um, that is a really good thing to be paying attention to. Is this loan assumable and what are the terms to assume it? Um, something to be paying attention to for sure. Um, okay, so uh, last one we're going to talk about is uh, just basically straight seller finance, I call it. So basically, you've got um, you're going to buy it, seller's going to finance it, they're going to carry a, a promissory note. Uh, it's going to be secured against the property. Uh, some jurisdictions it's called promissory note and then uh, deed of trust. Um, it's a little different in some states, but essentially, you have the note, the promise to pay, the loan, and then it's secured against the property. Um, this, there are so many different ways you can structure. So this is, 
this is where you can really get into so many different uh, nuances and strategies and all sorts of things that you could, this could be a multiple day seminar on, um, on any of these really, but on, on terms of seller financing and things that you can put in there because really there's no rules. There's, there's no rules around what terms you can, can or can't do, right? You can, you can, uh, you can do deferred payments. You can do interest only payments. You can do stepped up interest rates. You can do, uh, all, all sorts of different things with the terms of the loan where where you're not going to get that with the bank, right? The bank is like, here's our terms. Do you want it or not, right? So with a seller, you can you can really cater it to what is it that they're needing? Do they have a certain amount of income coming in that they want to continue to have when they sell this property? What works on your end as far as the cash flow that the property is bringing in? Uh, and can you make that work? Uh, you know, so there working out those terms where it makes sense for the seller and also works for you, you it's all flexible. It's all, it's all negotiable, right? So if you have a property that needs a lot of work, you're not gonna be able to put any tenants in it for six months. You could say, hey, seller, I really want to give you what you want for this property. This payment works, this interest rate that we've talked about, but I, I, you know, I'm gonna be putting a lot of money into this property and I'm not gonna have any income coming in for six months until I get this done. Can we set this up so that once I once I have a tenant in there in six months, so we're not gonna, I'm not gonna, we'll still accrue interest, or maybe you don't, I mean, that's negotiable too. And uh, you know, I'm gonna start paying you in six months, but for now, I just, I can't do it. You, you're, you know, my success is your success, right? You don't want this property back, you want the income. Um, so I really need some time to be able to invest in this property and, and get, get her to a place where it needs to be to get a tenant in there. Um, but I can't, I, it's going to be difficult for me to do that and pay you at the same time. Right. So, and a lot of sellers understand that. So, um, all that stuff is negotiable. All that stuff is, is, uh, up for discussion. Right. Um, in a big note, I forgot to mention, so obviously the, the big thing, one of the big differences between a lease option and some of these other, uh, structures is that in a lease option, you, you don't, maybe I did mention at the beginning, you don't actually own the property. You're not own, you're not the owner on title. You just have, you record your option. Uh, so they have a recorded interest in the property. So you have an interest, uh, but you don't have ownership. And these, you, the title transfers, you have ownership. Um, and then the, the seller essentially becomes the bank, right? So, so that's a, a big difference in how they're structured. You actually have ownership in these, um, you, you're on the deed. And um, and you're you're the owner of record. So, um, so many different l little nuances that you can add in seller financing. Uh, like I said, reduced or deferred uh, initial payments, uh, interest-only payments, substitution of security, which means you know you can put a clause in there so that you can you can uh, recollateralize re against a different piece of property, which you don't even actually have to collateralize the the. Uh, the property you're buying doesn't have to be the collateral for the note. You could be buying a proper property for $300,000. The seller's carrying a note. They're financing $200,000 of it. You, you don't have to secure that against that property. If you have equity in another property, as long as the seller is okay with that, you can, you can secure that against a different property. And then now you're buying this property and it's not going to have any, any debt on it. It's going to be free and clear. You can go get 
new new financing on that to buy that right so because now you don't have any other any other debt on there because you're you're securing it the the seller's uh portion against a different property um same thing as if they, if they agree to be in second position a lot of times you can get you know a private lender or hard money lender to fund the the first position loan even if the seller's carrying back a second so um lots of different nuances that you can get into there um, you can you can negotiate the ability to um, to split the note into multiple different notes. Uh, if you are getting a pretty big promissory note, you know you're you may have other properties that you in the future want to collateralize that, right? You you have you're buying a six hundred thousand dollar property that you're going to rehab and you're going to sell in six months, but you are uh, but you got really, really good fixed terms that are long-term terms with the seller. The seller doesn't want to get paid off. You you want to be able to re-collateralize that note and you probably want to be able to split that note into multiple notes just to make sure that you have somewhere to collateralize that seller uh, You know that's going to work for them, right? So um, a lot of these situations, the seller doesn't want to get paid off. This works. It's great. Hey, I'm going to flip this property. I'm just going to rehab it and sell it but you don't want to pay that loan off. So you have to figure out what to do with it later. Um, and so being able to move it somewhere else, collateralize it somewhere else, and also being able to split it up gives you options to be able to be able to do that. Um, so, you know, you buy a property, 500,000, you have equity in, you know, three other buildings, but you don't have 500,000 in equity in three other buildings, in, in each building, right? But maybe you have, you know, $200,000 in equity in each building. Well, when you sell that, now you can split that into three different notes and you can collateralize it against these other properties without being upside down um, and, and owing more. If you just had the one note, 500,000, you only have $200,000 in equity, you know, you put that in second position uh, on that property. Now they're, now, now they're upside down $300,000 on their, on their collateral. You don't want to do that. That's not, that's not ethical. That's not what you want to be doing. You want to make sure they have equity protection, even, you know, especially if they're in first position or I mean in second position, you wanna make sure they have equity there to protect them. Um, so again, if you have the ability to split it up, uh, then you can put it on three different properties, guess their second position in that scenario, but at least now they have equity protection in, in each of those properties. Um, first right of refusal. So there's a whole market where if you can, if you sell, you to have a note that someone owes money, if they're making payments, uh, there's a market to go sell that. Well, you want to be the one that has the option and the first right of refusal to buy that because usually those are purchased at a discount. So if you have a $500,000 note, seller's like, ah, I really want, I decided I want the cash. Um, I'm going to go sell my um, stake in this note. I'm going to sell it to the note buyer. Uh, note buyer may only offer them 400000 Okay, well, you probably want the first right to be able to match that and buy that because you just made another $100,000, right? You. You had an uh, agreement to pay him 500. If you can go get uh, someone to come in and step into their shoes at 400,000, uh, you just made $100,000. So you want that that right of refusal to either buy and match or not. Um, and then with the subordination clause, we talked about um, seller being in second position, um, things like that to give you a, a spot to put first position financing um, or to move it against, uh, collateralize it against a property that has um, maybe some other debt on it, but has a lot of equity. Um, so really with seller financing, what you're doing is, 
Um, and actually, and, and with all of these, again, I say seller financing with creative deal structure, different ways to go about it, rather than just, hey, I'm getting a, getting a loan and I'm going to buy it and cash you out. And, um, and there we go. We, I'm going to buy it, bank loan, that's it. Um, really what you're doing is you're problem solving. Um, we've been in a market where really a lot of this hasn't even been discussed because people were just, it was the Wild West. People were just buying property, you know, and all, almost all of it was conventional. Sellers didn't even care to listen for the most part because they just, they, they didn't have to. And they just had all these offers in front of them and I'm just going to sell. Um, and, and honestly, it's it's almost to, it's probably to the detriment of of some of those sellers because some of these terms, some of these structures are are actually in the best interest of the seller. And some sellers don't know that. So it takes educating and it takes letting them know why, why is this in your best interest? You know, not a tax advisor either, not a, not a, not a CPA, but you know, in, in an installment sale and carrying financing, when you're not outright selling it, if you're taking a note back, you're taking payments, there's tax benefits to that. Um, you know, they're deferring their taxes further. So, and it versus having to pay that, right? Oh, I don't want to be a landlord anymore. So I have to sell and now I have to pay all of my capital gains and recapture depreciation and all that stuff. Well, you don't, there's other ways you can continue to defer that without having to have ownership in the building and, um, and continue to be a landlord. There's just, but a lot of sellers don't know that. And so you have to help them through that and, and lead them to the right advisors to give them that advice. So, um, really it's providing solutions It's it's, it's providing, uh, it's listening again, a lot of, a lot of negotiation is just listening to what a seller really wants and needs, and then crafting a solution that helps them to get there. So all of these tools, and there's a lot more, uh, but a lot of these tools are just, you have to have them in your tool belt, be, know how to use them, be ready to use them because you you never know what scenario you're going to walk into and you don't, you never know which, which tool you're going to have to take out to help solve the seller's problem and get them where they're wanting to go and also get you into a great real estate investment. So um, we'll talk more about seller financing moving forward. I want you guys to just have it kind of on your radar because I think we're going to be in a prime uh, window of time to be having these conversations, uh, especially with interest rates where they're at, because I mean, especially investor sellers, they, they understand it's taking, it's taking a little time to, um, you know, sellers are wanting what they were able to get, you know, cap rates are still pretty low, but investor buyers are, are hesitant. It doesn't make sense to buy at a four, four and a half cap and have to borrow at seven to 8% interest. It just doesn't make sense, but that, that hasn't worked itself out yet. A solution to that is seller financing. And a seller, as long as they're not trying to do, you know, grow their portfolio in 1031 or something like that, if they're, maybe they're done, but they're, they're trying to sell or they don't need to upsize or whatever, um, then putting something like this in front of them and saying, hey, look, I want to buy your building. It's a great building. I know you really don't want this anymore. You're done with it. You want to move on. You just don't want to manage anymore, whatever. Um, I can't go borrow at seven or eight percent and make this make sense. But if you're willing to take payments, you know I can pay you five percent. I can pay five and a half percent interest, um, and you're getting a good rate. That makes sense for you. 
and it's better than what you can get at the bank. No fees, by the way, right? Or very low fee. You're going to have to pay some escrow fees and stuff, but the loan, there's no loan fees. Um, and now you have a solution that works for you. You're getting a better interest rate than you could get in the market. It actually makes sense for the seller because you can give a better price uh, on the property if you're getting a better interest rate versus if you have to go out and, and borrow that money, you're probably going to have to pay less to make the, the cash flow and the numbers make sense. Um, so just be looking for opportunities out there. Be looking for uh, properties that have been sitting on the market a while, uh, properties that need some work, properties that a, a, you know a landlord is, is really just trying to move on from being a landlord and they're, they're a tired landlord, but they maybe still want the income. There's lots of scenarios where, well, where a, a creative deal structure uh, would be a welcome solution and they just need to, someone to propose it to them and show them how it is in their best interest and how it can work for everybody. So hopefully that's helpful. Again, thanks for listening. Appreciate it. Uh, make sure if you're watching this on YouTube, please subscribe to my channel, like the video, help this get out to more people. If you're not watching this on YouTube, if you're listening to this on uh, one of the podcast apps, I am on YouTube. Uh, I do all sorts of market updates, uh, some additional content there. So be sure to check that out if you're listening on a podcast platform and haven't been on the YouTube channel. So thanks again for listening. Make it a great day. Go out there and make some real estate investments happen.